It's good to be back and uh, back in the saddle, if you will. Um, I, uh, I always miss it when we're gone from the church family, and even tonight with so many people missing, I miss seeing those faces. I'm glad to see all your faces, and if you're watching online, we're, I can't see your face, unlike the government, but I can't see it. Um, um, but uh, a lot of things got done while I was gone. I came in here, and Pastor Danny had this this section all... I knew the chairs were in because Pastor Danny had sent me a picture, and we had been tracking, even in the middle of the Caribbean, we'd been tracking the delivery of the chairs. And he sent me a picture. First, my first thing was, those look more gray than charcoal. Um, but the old adage, when you have a s- switch of carpeting or fabric that's that big, you know... Um, and hey, the ladies chose it. I had nothing, to, but I like it. It looks really nice. And I came in. He had this all set up, and I was like, "Wow, that looks. It makes it makes everything look younger in here. Even Brock looks younger sitting in the chairs." Um, so, <laughs> but uh, I thought it was funny that you know we had some of the folks came and took some of the pews, and I'm so thankful many of you have, have taken them to other homes. And I, I thought tonight, so we'll be interested to see tonight when we come, you know. Who sits in the new ones and who says, you know, some of you like Jim Morgan, he's, I don't know if he really likes the chairs better, but he's more faithful that he sits in the middle section. You know, I don't know, you know, so I can't figure it out, but it looks like it kind of dispersed out except Michelle and Taylor, you guys are kind of, oh yeah, yes, yeah, that's right. You're loyal to your spot. You know, when you look over there and then the confidence monitor, Joe, do you like the monitor in the back? He loved, loved the one in the back. Fantastic. And then, you know, and then I come back and I find out, I come in here and I see there's a thermostat on the wall over here. And this air conditioning unit is fully installed and operational. It's fully operational. Um, isn't it awesome? Okay, I think it is. Now I can really freeze you guys out. You think it got cold before. This is the first time we've had full power in years. And so I'm looking forward. So thank you to Dale. Dale Thomas did so much of that work. And, you know, we had to get a crane rented to get the old one down, the new one. It was, it's, it's quite an endeavor. And so I'm so thankful. So look at all the stuff that got done. I thought to myself, the thing I can learn from this is the more I go to the Caribbean, the more things get done. Seems to be an obvious uh, result there. Um, I need this next... <laughs> go back. Yeah, I heard. I, I, I figured when I got back, I'd find a bunch of people finally, you know, all broken and up here in the front crying and weeping. And I thought, oh, there's a revival. And then I find out, oh, no, it's just, you know, Nick Saban retired. Um, that's all. Um, you can hear it on the boat, all across the boat, everybody rejoicing, you know. But I wore my, I wore my shirt that, uh, that Will gave me. And um, it, it's got it's from his unit, and on the back of the shirt is the Alabama flag, and it says Sweet Home Alabama, and I wore that thing all over the place, and I just waiting. Nobody bugged me about it. I, I was really, I think they were just too afraid. We said, don't, 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 don't mess with people from Alabama. I said, you're right. But um, at any rate, it's good to be back. It's good to see y'all, and it's good to be back in the life of Messiah. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5 tonight. Luke chapter 5, thank you for uh, humoring me for a few minutes. Uh, just on Lord Sunday, I have some more things to say. Jenny says I show a few pictures from the cruise. I, I, the worst thing, you know, you go to someone's house, hey, we want to show you pictures of our last vacation, you know. Um, so I don't know. Would you like to see pictures of that or is that just a dumb, you know? You, you, uh, 
Oh, okay, okay. All right, most of the time we came back. <laughs> no, there are no good pictures of me. You, you have all know, you know, you have to make me look good. At least make me look witty, if nothing else. Um, uh, witty Whitby. Um, but at any rate. Uh, all right, well, we'll, we'll, we'll do that on Sunday. Then I'll have a few of them either before or during the sermon. I'll, you know, work them in there. I, did, I didn't have any um, dog lady, if you remember my, our last cruise. I, I, I kept looking for one, but I, I, we didn't have one. But I do, I, I, I do have some things to share with you that you're probably not going to believe. But, uh, you know, if that's all I'll tell you. It's... it's, it's if you don't believe in the total depravity of man, you haven't spent enough time around people. Um, but at any rate, it's good to be back. It's good to be in Life Messiah. And um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5. And it's been a few weeks. So just a reminder as we're going through the life of, of the Messiah using all four gospel accounts um, and from the Jewish perspective, it, uh, Dr. Arnold Frutenbaum wrote the Life Messiah series, aerialministries.com or .org. I can't remember if it's .org or .com. Is it org? It's org, isn't it? Yeah, aerial.org, I think. Um, if you wanted more information, I encourage you to go there. We support his ministry on a monthly basis. And it was really fantastic. Uh, Jen and I were in Fort Lauderdale on the main, the main, one of the main drags through town. And we were, we were walking down there and we walked by and there was this whole store, a Jewish store that had stuff. It had, it had masseuses and it had Seder stuff and it had, you know, they had Seder trays and they had uh, just all, all kinds of stuff that we, you would use in the observance of Passover and other stuff. And so we went in there. But, you know, in Fort Lauderdale, they had to have a, they had to have a police guy there car in front the whole time and to get into the store we had to get buzzed in um, and this is in a very nice part of Fort Lauderdale so um, had a really good opportunity to talk to the people there they were kind of astounded that some Gentile knew what all this stuff was I'm going up and down there, well this is this this is this and you know do you know what this really stands for um, and uh, but we had, a, we had a really, really wonderful time. So I'm glad to be back teaching the life of Messiah from the Jewish perspective. And we're in Luke chapter 5. We've been looking at the life of Jesus. And, and here recently, he's begun a lot of his interaction with the Pharisees. We spent a couple Wednesday nights looking at the Pharisees. And I entitled a couple of the lessons. And I'd encourage you to go back and watch them. It's interesting. Uh, why did the Pharisees have so many rules? And we found that the, the Pharisaism of the New Testament really developed in the, the 400 years between the Old and the New Testament. And that there had been a switch from biblical Judaism to rabbinic Judaism. And that's really what Jesus opposed and the Pharisees hated him for it. And we're going to find as we go on in Life Messiah that he consistently uh, shows them that their stance is unbiblical. And we saw that they had a specific type of logic that they were trying to do. If Basically, if, you know, if you're going to fall off a cliff here and you put a fence here, that's good. But if you put a fence here, that's even better. And pretty soon they had fences to infinity and beyond. So tonight we're going to pick up and discuss an issue that touches off this, this conflict between Mishnaic uh, Judaism and biblical uh, understanding of the scriptures. In Luke chapter 5, uh, we're going to be in verse 33, and this, this uh, story is told in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. If you want to look it up, they're all in all three. If you have your harmony, they're, they're there right by each other. 
Um, but in Luke third, Luke's account, verse 33, the Bible says, And they said unto him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise the disciples of the Pharisees? But thine eat and drink. Now, he's not, they're not chastising them because they needed to eat and drink. <laughs> that, that was kind of an essential thing. They're talking about why don't they fast? Now, is fasting a good thing? I think most of us would agree, yes, it's mentioned in the Old Testament. Uh, it's designed, if you study, that to humble, be a, a demonstration of humility and submission before the Lord and the, seeking God's will uh, in, our, in our lives and, and just demonstrating the priority of, our, of the spirit over the flesh. And so the question, should fasting be a part of our spiritual walk today? And is that just an Old Testament thing? No, it's a New Testament thing as well. And the answer is yes. Now, there is, let me, you know, predicate if you have uh, health issues that will allow you to do that. I don't, I personally believe the Lord understands that. If your health doesn't allow, I don't encourage you to do that kind of fasting unless you've talked to your doctor. So this is not medical advice, but it is scriptural advice. And I do think if you are healthy, um, and even if you're not within the capacity that you have, uh, fasting is part of and should be part of our spiritual walk. And the Pharisees did fast. When the Pharisees tell them here in verse 33 about the disciples of John and the Pharisees, they, they were involved in fasting. Now, they often fasted quite publicly and demonstrated their spirituality. We see that many times. Um, but Jesus' disciples didn't. But even they bring up John the Baptist. They said even John Baptist's disciples fast. So it seems like a legitimate concern, isn't it? I mean, John the Baptist, he's, you know, Jesus said he's the greatest of all the prophets. Now, from what we know from studying first century writings of the, the rabbis of that time, that the Pharisees fasted twice a week, every Monday and every Thursday. That's pretty good, isn't it? Every Monday Every Thursday, I can tell by looking around, most of us are not observing Pharisaic fasting regulations. <laughs> you know, uh, every week, matter of fact, remember the story, we're going to come to it a little bit later, in Luke 18, where the, the publican is praying, and the Pharisee is praying, and the, and, and the Pharisee prays and says, I thank thee, God, that I'm not like other men, you know, then they're, they're whoremongers and adulterers, and <laughs> lists off what all the other people are. And then in that prayer, it's in Luke 18, verse 12, if you want to see it for yourself. In Luke 18, 12, the, the, that Pharisee said, I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I have. Ooh. When, when he says that there, I fast twice a week, that's, you know, the, a, a verification of what Dr. Frutenbaum's mentioning in the, the historical writings. We understand that the Pharisees were fasting, you know, twice a week. Can you imagine fasting every Monday and Thursday? You're hitting the buffet. You're under grace. Amen, 4.0. We're not under law. We're under grace. We hit the buffet every Monday and Thursday. No, I think Christians hit it Sunday, Monday, and Thursday, okay? Sunday after church. Uh, you're, you are not wrong. Um, but you got you to gotta admire their dedication, don't you? If, if I said, if, hey, if you really want to demonstrate Christianity and you're really desirous of what you want God to do in your life, if you'd fast every Monday and every Thursday, would you do it? 
If we put in here that part of the deal, if you want to become a member of Open Door Baptist Church, even though this boy would this be quite legalistic, um, but let's just go on a, on a tangent you know, and say, if you want to be a member of our church, we require that all members fast every Monday and every Thursday. Yeah, there'd be a fewer people here. I can promise you that. Um, I, you got to admire their dedication. Now, it's interesting that if you go back and Arnold quotes a couple early first century authors of, of, early, er, of the early church, and they were so familiar with this idea that every Monday and Thursday was fasting days that in what only can be described as an ironic display of early Christian legalism themselves is they told all early Christians, you fast any day you want, but don't fast on Mondays and Thursdays because no one wants to be confused with a Pharisee. <laughs> so can you see the irony of that? You know, I think it's really like, but it, it, they didn't want to be confused with what they called the hypocrites. So early Jewish believers began fasting on Wednesdays, Wednesdays and Fridays. You know, they came out of Judaism and they were been trained. If you're really serious about it, you fast twice a week. And then they became believers and they, they brought over some of these cultural and some of them, as we read in books like Galatians, even brought it in as a requirement of part of the early Christian life, which it should not be. And we find clearly the scriptures would say so, but you got to admire the fact that they said, we're going to fast twice a week and we'll do it on Wednesdays and Fridays. You got, again, while I think the legalism is wrong, doing that with a right heart and saying, I think that's necessary. I mean, I, I, I admire the, the dedication. But back to what the Pharisees, they're saying both they, the Pharisees, and John's disciples are fasting twice a week. So why doesn't Jesus? Why doesn't his disciples? Now we're going to see, as I already showed you, the Jewish perspective makes a difference. All of a sudden you read this verse and understand it a little differently with that light in mind. But Jesus responds and gives three analogies of of why they do not. And he begins it in verse 34 and 35, where he says, can a man or can ye make the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them. Then shall they fast in those days. So Jesus uses the picture of a wedding and says that a wedding, you know, if the bridegroom's there, the wedding party's there, you don't fast. Can you imagine going to a wedding and, and they get up there and say, uh, there's going to be a reception, but there's going to be no food because we're observing fasting. That, now, if you're the bride's parents, I think that is a brilliant idea, you know? Um, don't, the, don't the brides, don't, do, do, do y'all have to pay for the reception meal? Wasn't that about right, Michelle? I can't, it's been a while for me. I might have been married off for a while, but, um, you know, I, I, I thought to myself, I would love to be officiating the service where I told the entire crowd that there would be no food. There'll be no, you know, we're going to go, I don't know what we're going to do, but there'll be, there'll be no food because we're fasting. It, you know, I, I can imagine people, and they're kind of, that's the strangest wedding I've ever been to. You know, them Swaffords, they're cheapskates, you know. Uh, no, they weren't, by the way. We had fat boys, and it was, deli I still remember. There are not many reception meals I remember, but I remember that, and it's because some of you ate more than you were supposed to. By the time I got there, there wasn't very much left. I'm not bitter or nothing. I'm just thankful for y'all's sanity and, and well-being that Michelle had set some aside for, you know, the less important people who get their last. Um, but it was really good. any rate, you wouldn't go to a wedding because, and fast because a wedding is a time of a celebration. And as Jesus is equating himself there to the bridegroom and he was present, it was a time to celebrate. Now, I was thinking to myself in my notes, I'm ready to celebrate again. 
when we're with the Lord again. Amen? And we'd be wonderful. But we are now living in the time that Jesus describes in verse 35. The days are going to come when the bridegroom shall be taken away, and then shall they fast in those days. And we are now living in those days, and as his children, because our Lord is physically gone from us, these are days in which we ought to fast. But we don't want to fast like the Pharisees that did it legalistically. Does the Gospels ever tell us that Jesus himself fasted? Anybody? Trick question here. Does the Bible ever tell us that Jesus fasted? Do, do, yes. Mike. All right. He did. Remember in the, in, when he went into the temptation? I mean, when Jesus, when Jesus fasts, he fasts. I, you know, I... I'm one of those people that can go, at least when I, I can't do it anymore because of medicine, but when I was a younger guy a few years ago, I could go a while without food. Just, I can do it. But can you imagine 40 days? Whoa! You, and people think Jesus was some kind of wimpy guy. I want to see the biggest, toughest guy here go 40 minutes without food, let alone 40 days. Um, but it is also interesting, after... When Jesus went through the temptations, which was before his public ministry took off, after he's introduced with John the Baptist, or he's introduced, he goes to the thing. When he comes back from that temptation, do we ever find that he's fasted again? Does, it, does the Gospels ever tell us after the 40 days, after the temptation early, the first thing in it before, you know, that he ever fasted? No, it doesn't. Um, so I think he lives out what he's teaching. But he does say that his people in the days when he's gone would fast, and that is you and me. So we should be involved in fasting, and we'll talk about that more in a minute. Look at verse number 36. Let's see the second illustration he uses, in case they didn't get the first one. Jesus says in verse 36, And he spake unto them a parable unto them, No man putteth a piece of new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new maketh the rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. So now he uses an illustration of repairing a garment. He said you wouldn't take, you know, a new piece from a new garment to fix a hole in an old garment. He said the first thing, if you do that, you ruin the, the new one. Now I know the Lord, I can only imagine in heaven, he looked down there and goes, you know, in our day and age, teenagers today and people today, and hey, no, no judgment here. I'm not making a judgment. I no judgment. I have no problem. But people buy jeans today that have holes already coming in them. You know, we used to have to work hard to make the holes in the one. Now they get them, and when they wouldn't, the teenagers would cut the holes in them themselves, so they'd be cool jeans, you know. Um, that, that's fine, that's fine. But Jesus said, if you take a new garment, and then you use it to fix an old one, that, that it, first you're going to ruin the new garment, and the second thing is, the old garment, it, it had already been stretched out like a good pair of jeans over time, but the new one was still tight. So if you attach it over time, it's going to stretch and not fit anymore, and it's going to be out of place. And basically what Jesus is saying, I'm not here to patch up the holes of Pharisaic teaching. He's taking direct aim at the pill-pull logic we talked about, about building fences around everything. Jesus is saying the teachings that I'm giving you will not fit with your Mishnaic, rabbinic, man-centered rules. And then he gives them the third one in verse 37. And he says, And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall perish. But new wine must be poured into new bottles, and both are preserved. No man, having drunk old wine, straightway desireth new, for he saith the old is better. 
So the third illustration he uses is in the wineskins. Now, wineskins were like, I guess the word is tumblers, isn't that what y'all what we call the little cups, the thermos, the, you know, the yetis, you know, you know, the yeti cups and stuff. I, I was on the cruise ship and we were watching the news one night and they did a story about these tumblers that are called Stanley's. Doug, I don't know if you have any stock in this com- company, you own this company, but I wish you did. Um, you ever heard about these Stanley tumblers? They're showing people waiting out in line and people fighting over the pink pink ones, I guess. Everybody wants the pink ones, you know? Mike, Big Mike, did you get your pink tumbler? I know you wanted one. I know you were one of those people throwing people around back there. Um, I couldn't believe that. People after, you know, a little, I, a glorified thermos, they're fighting over it. I, I, I don't know. But in Jesus' day, they stored liquids in, in wineskins. Now, they were sewn together, usually with sheep or goat skin, which, you know, again, I don't know about you, but I can't say that'd be the first in line <laughs> that I'd want to buy, you know, at the, at, at the Bass Pro Shop or whatever. But what Jesus is pointing out here is that old wine must go in old skins and new wine must go in new skins. Now, why is this? Um, this is because new wine finishes its fermentation inside those wineskins. Now, a couple things, I'm going to be real quick. I don't want to, I'm not going to get too sidetracked, but I want to, don't want to leave the 100, 800 pound elephant in the room. Um, I do, if you I do believe that biblical alcohol, that when the Bible talks about wine, is not just grape juice, that it is fermented. And what Jesus is talking about here, if it wasn't fermenting, what his illustration really doesn't make any sense. That being said, I still think for the believer today that alcohol is a moral failing. And if you want to know more about that, I would tell you to search in our Life of Messiah series and go back to the first miracle, the water turned to wine. And I spent a couple Wednesday nights um, explaining the biblical view on alcohol because it cannot be argued. On the one hand, we see that wine is a picture of joy. And it also cannot be argued that wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. There are strong statements both ways. How do you how do you make sense of that? Now, there's some folks that want to say, and God bless them if they want to say this. I just don't think it's intellectually honest. I'm just being honest with you. That would say, well, it was just grape juice. <sighs> that's a weak argument in a lot of ways. But if that's the position you hold, that's fine. Um, but the illustration Jesus is using here is if you put new wine in old skins, when the fermentation expansion would go, that cause it to leak and break apart. I was thinking about this, and I remember um, when I was a kid, I would, never, I would never do this now, but I might have then. Either that or Brock taught me this. I don't know. But when you take the Coca-Cola and you, is it the Mentos you put in the Coca-Cola bottle, yeah, see, I'm getting a lot of shaking heads. Some of, some of them, notice it's all men that are shaking their head. Girls don't think about doing this stuff because they're smart, but men think about it and you put it in there. You put the Mentos in the Coke. If this, this, is not an, this is not an advertisement for this. And you put the lid on, you know, and then it begins to expand. And you, if, you, if you keep that lid on there, bad things are going to happen, right? Well, that, that's an that's a exaggerated ex- example of what happens if you, you put new wine in an old, old skins. It's going to stretch and come apart. Um, Jesus' point is, again, he's not come to patch up the holes of Pharisaic teaching. And again, he's going at their 
their system of teaching of, you know, you got to make this fit and all, it's not, it's not going to work. He's scriptural teachings are not going to work with the man-made system of Pharisees. And so the rules on fasting, you know, don't fit. Now, the, the last thing, boy, I'm going to get done early. Now. How about that? I should go on a cruise more often. I get done early. Um, the, the, probably of the whole passage, the one where there's the most debate or trying to understand what exactly is going on here. And I think without bringing the Jewish perspective, it, it's hard to do. But verse 39, Jesus says, No man also having drunk the old wine straightway desire the new, for he saith the old is better. And Jesus ends his illustration by saying, when you look at this idea, don't also forget that when men look have an option to do both, then they're going to take the old one. Now, there's two predominant ways that this passage is interpreted. One approach says that Jesus is prophesying, basically, that in the end, he's looking down ahead, that the Pharisees and the religious leaders would choose to reject the new and stay with the old that they would reject what Jesus was teaching and they would stay with their old ways and, you know, um, and they would crucify him. You know, I, I think that's the weaker of the argument. Dr. Frutenbaum and I would agree with Dr. Arnold, which I not always do, but usually do. Because um, I think it coincides more with their theology that we've even looked at tonight and over the last few sessions with the Pharisees. It would look and would explain this to say that we all know that old wine is smoother and better tasting than new wine. Now, I don't know that because I never had any alcohol. You know, praise God, I never have. But from what I understand and when I see people who are willing to pay gazillions of dollars, not for, you know, stuff that was purchased at Publix <laughs> 10 minutes ago, but, you know, that is that, that, that aging makes it, makes it better. And, and it's better tasting than the new. So the old wine is more desirous. What Dr. Frutenbaum, what Arnold brings is he said, so the old wine is mosaic or scriptural Judaism, and it's better than the new wine of Pharisaic Judaism. And that goes in line where Jesus later will say that he didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And I believe he's pointing the Pharisees and demonstrating that what they're teaching, their new wine, is, is not in accordance with scriptural teaching. And I know while you might say, well, they've been doing 400 years, we'll understand there'd been a thousand some years, really the teaching they'd done, their, their Pharisaic rules that we find of the Pharisees in the gospel accounts, in, in the grand picture of things, was newer. And Jesus was saying, if you go back to the old, if you go back to the original scriptures, if, which Jesus always points them to, that's really the better one. The old is better. And when, as I mentioned, when you really consider what even the Old Testament and the demonstration of fasting, it almost always comes with humility and brokenness. And if there are any two things that the Pharisees of Jesus' day, most of them, lacked, it was humility and brokenness. So should healthy believers fast today? Yes, we should. Um, I would encourage you, if you haven't participated in a while, maybe get a, a, a good book on, on the issue of fasting. And, um, but it's really not that, that hard. There are different types of fasts. Um, I know folks that have, I don't know what all the rules are. I don't think there really are a whole lot in terms of where this goes, but I tell the story because it's one of my favorite stories. When I was back in sales and I sold uh, a Becca books to 
Christian curriculum to Christian schools all over three states. And I came into a Christian school and was talking to the receptionist who I, over the years, had grown to know pretty well. And I was saying, you know, talking how things are going and stuff. She says, oh, we're, we're in spiritual emphasis week. And I said, oh, that's great. And she said, yeah, we're, we're challenging everybody to go on a fast. Well, I thought, well, I've never heard of a Christian school. And give them credit that they were, they were challenging all their staff and kids to go on a fast. And I said, well, that's, that's really interesting. And now I didn't know what else, I didn't know what to add. And that was really a great thing. And I'm thinking, man, this is, this is really something. And then she had to ruin it for me by continuing to share. She said, yeah, I, I decided my fast this year would be chocolate. I didn't, I didn't know she was kidding. So you know how you don't know, you, you want to laugh, but I didn't know if I should laugh. And you know, when you're in sales, it's better off to just wait a little bit. So I waited a little bit, and not only was I right in the absurdity, but it got worse. She said, well, and she goes, and to make it more meaningful, I'm fasting specifically of Hershey's chocolate. I said, so you can eat, I, 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 now I'm just being a little bit of myself, trying to hide it, but I'm going, so, that, so you mean you can eat other kinds of chocolate, you just can't eat Hershey's chocolate? Yes. <laughs> And I remember going out and calling Jenny going, you're not going to believe what I deserve. You know, I said, I, somehow in the, in the annals of biblical fasting, I don't know how much up in heaven God is going, boy, look at that servant of mine down there. They are, they mean business. They are giving up Hershey's chocolate. Um, we all know, I know all the ladies we found out. I did a poll several years ago. I know that y'all like Dove chocolate way better than Hershey's chocolate anyway. So I guess if she'd have been really into something, I learned my lesson on that a few years ago and haven't forgotten it. But we should be involved in fasting. And I would encourage and challenge you to do so. You know, um, over the years, and I'm sure some of you have been around here a while, remember we have, um, I've, we've done church-wide fasting. And maybe in 2024, we need to do it again. Um, certainly, if there was a time that our country needs it, it's now. And this particular year is going to be, a, like every year, very important. Um, but the, it's not just elections and politics, but I'm sure every single one of us has, whether it's an issue in your own personal life or maybe it's a family member that you're just really burdened for. You know, there is a biblical truth of the power of, of fasting. Now, we have done here at Open Doors some interesting fasts because um, I am not opposed. I don't think, you know, when you say, well, do that means I have to quit eating? Some people go on a fast where it's a, a natural juice only fast. They don't eat foods. They only drink liquids like grape juice, apple juice, anything that's 100% natural, organic kind of thing because, you know, you stop drinking, that's a problem. Um, so, you know, I, I, don't, I do think that even what that illustration I just gave you about the chocolate. I, I do think there are things that, that God, in, when he knows what's close to your heart and you surrender something you, to him for a season, I do think if it's from your heart that it can be meaningful. And I, one thing we've done around here, we have, I don't know when's the last time we've done it. I have to look at things. It's been a few years though. You might, my, Michelle knows where I'm going on this, don't you? What am I, do you know where I'm going? Pardon me? Yes, media fast. Unless it's part of your job, you know, that no time on media, no TV, no Facebook, 
no Instagram, no, and I am telling you that, I, and, I, and I preface this saying, I'm only asking, even if you're in youth group, I'm telling you parents, don't go home and tell your teenager, this is what you're doing. I would, you know, I grew up in an era where that's what you do. I would not advise that. Now, if you want to do that, don't, don't, but do not go home and say the church says. Don't blame it on me and the church. But I would tell you that that, the first couple days on that, it's hard. <laughs> but then after a while, it's like, this is nice. <laughs> and uh, so we'll probably get into that again sometime. Because, you know, at the end of the day, um, the, the battles that we're involved in are their spiritual warfare. And Satan is working hard. And I remember you, in the gospel accounts, and we'll get to this story eventually. It's one of my favorite in the New Testament of, in the life of, of the Messiah. You remember the time where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, he goes up on the mountain and the transfiguration happens and they see him, they see his glory and, you know, what an experience. And then they, they come down from the mountain. When they come down from the mountain, from the spiritual height, the first thing they encounter is a man that is so broken. And he says, he says, I've got my son and my son here is possessed with a devil and he does this and he does that and there's no hope for him. And he goes, well, they, he says, the man says, while you were away up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, the other disciples who were left down at the bottom of the mountain, we brought, we, we, we brought our son to them, and they couldn't cast him out. They couldn't cast this demon out. Now, this is, you know, Matthew and Thomas and other of the, you know, these are, these are some of Jesus' choice men. And do you remember what Jesus says to that man, now he, obviously Jesus ends up take, casting that demon out of the, out of the boy's father, and the boy, the father was so broken. But at the very end of that story, the disciples come back to Jesus and say, "The ones who, were, why couldn't we do it?" And Jesus' response to them was this: "This kind cometh forth only by prayer and fasting." And there's some battles. I think we face that sometimes say, why don't I, why am I getting victory? Well, sometimes that kind only comes forth by prayer and fasting. So I encourage you to be involved in fasting and take something bad and make something, watch God make something good. Amen? Amen. Well, it's good to be here tonight. Still got done seven minutes early. We'll call that a win. And thank you for tuning in. Those of you who watched tonight, I hope it was a blessing to you. And we will see you, Lord willing, Sunday morning. So let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for this time tonight. Thank you for the, your teachings and your word that are relevant to our lives today. Uh, Lord, help us to be faithful. Um, help us as we go through the different issues of life. Help us to not be like the Pharisees, but uh, to be people of humility and brokenness. Uh, help us to have a teachable spirit. Um, and God, I pray for the different battles that are raging in every family that's represented, every individual that's represented here tonight and those who've listened or are listening to this podcast or watching this video. Um, God, help us to humble ourselves. Help us to demonstrate, to prove our own hearts in this area of fasting. Thank you again for the victory you promised. Thank you that you are coming again. And even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Amen and amen.